to the River's virtual Sunday service. My name is Allison and I am the assistant pastor here. We are currently in a sermon series for the season of Advent. We are looking at what it means that Jesus saves. How does salvation work? What does it look like? In his sermon last week, Charles reviewed many of the passages in the Bible that talk about salvation and he linked them together through the lens of God's unconditional agape love. Today, I want to take a closer look at what salvation looks like in practice by sharing one of my favorite Bible stories as well as some of my own personal experiences. So what exactly are we talking about when we use the word salvation? As Charles preached last week, salvation is an ongoing process of expanding our hearts minds and souls to more fully understand, experience, and embody God's unconditional agape love. Salvation is about Jesus saving us again and again from anything that would rob us of the abundant life in all its fullness that we have been created for in this life and the next. In the Gospels, we see so many stories of Jesus helping people to experience a more abundant life. One of my favorites is the story of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. Let me read it to you now. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. All right, so let's recap. At the beginning of the story, we learn that Jesus is sitting by Jacob's well in a Samaritan city around noon. His disciples have left him to rest while they go get food. Meanwhile, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. Jesus asks the woman for some water and the woman is taken aback. She wonders why this Jewish man would make this request of her as Jews and Samaritans are not supposed to share things in common. Doing so would make him ritually unclean. Then Jesus turns things around and tells the woman that really she should be the one asking him for something called living water. The woman is intrigued about this water that will cause her to never thirst or have to return to the well again. And she wonders just who Jesus might be. Then Jesus changes the subject. He asks the woman to go get her husband, to which she replies, I have no husband. Jesus says, what you have said is true and reveals that he knows she has had five husbands and is currently with a man who is not her husband. For the woman, this knowledge is proof that Jesus is a prophet. So she starts asking Jesus some questions about the correct place to worship God. Jesus tells her about a new time that is coming when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth, and he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. The disciples return. The woman leaves her jar at the well and goes back to the city to tell people about Jesus. There are so many interesting things happening in this passage. First, it is notable that the woman comes to the well around noon. This is not the time of day that women would typically come to the well to draw water. Usually they would go in the early morning or in the evening when it was cooler outside. So why is this woman there in the middle of the day when it is hot? Perhaps she is avoiding other women in the town. This avoidance may be connected to the woman's many marriages. To our modern ears, it might sound like this woman is promiscuous or unfaithful, but there is more going on here. During this period, it was not unusual for a woman to be married several times during their lives. Women typically married young to men who were older than them making it very common for women to be widowed at a young age. Because this was a patriarchal society, women would need to remarry in order to survive. So perhaps the woman at the well had been widowed multiple times. Or maybe she had been divorced. If so, this was likely not of her own choosing. In this society, men were the ones who had power to initiate divorce and they could do so at will. 
if they wanted to make a more advantageous match, if they blame their wife for not bearing children, or for any other reason. And once again, had she been divorced, the Samaritan woman would have needed to remarry in order to survive. Instead of being a sign of poor character, this woman's many marriages were evidence of all the hardship and uncertainty that she had endured. This woman had a tough life, but she was a survivor. For reasons we don't know, the Samaritan woman did not feel comfortable socializing with the other woman at the well. There are many possible reasons for this. Perhaps the woman treated her badly. They may have looked down on her for her misfortune and worried that they would be tainted by association with her. Or maybe they had good intentions, but treated her with a sort of pity that she found hard to bear. Or perhaps the Samaritan woman was grieving for the life she imagined she'd have and found it hard to be around others who were living her dreams. We don't know for sure, but it seems clear that the woman was at a low point in her life. And in the midst of all that she was going through, she had an interesting encounter with Jesus at the well. At first, the Samaritan woman's interest in Jesus's living water seemed to be so that she could avoid coming to the well in the heat of the day. She was looking for a way to make her difficult life just a little bit easier. But by the end of the encounter, the woman had been transformed. Instead of wanting to avoid interacting with people, she eagerly rushed to town to share about her interaction with Jesus. She abandoned her water jug, seeming to imply that she now had the living water she needed to survive and thrive. What a change. What made this encounter with Jesus so transformative? Jesus showed the Samaritan woman that he truly saw and accepted her as she was. He was not deterred by her being a woman and him a man or her a Samaritan and him a Jew. He knew about all the challenges she had faced, the choices she had made to survive and did not judge her, nor did he pity her. When Jesus looked at the woman at the well, he saw not just her problems, but also her many strengths. He recognized her intelligence, her curiosity, her integrity, her resilience, and her leadership potential. Jesus saw all of who she was, accepted her unconditionally, and gave her the opportunity to partner with him. In the Gospel of John, the woman at the well has the honor of being the first person that Jesus tells he is the Messiah. And through this revelation, she was empowered to play an important role in the spreading of the kingdom of God. Through her sharing, many in Samaria came to believe in Jesus. Because of her, many got to taste Jesus's living water that gushes up to become eternal life. To be seen and accepted for who you are is an incredibly powerful gift. Have you ever felt that way before? Truly seen 
and known and accepted just as you are. I have been fortunate to experience this a number of times in my life, but one instance in particular comes to mind. About six years ago, when I first came to the river, I was going through a difficult season in my life. Based on the little that I shared in a life group, a new friend could tell that there was a lot more to my story, a lot more on my mind. She made me an offer. She said, someone once gave this gift to me and I want to pass it on to you. You can tell me your whole story in as much or as little detail as you want without holding back. I will be there to listen and receive it without judgment and without pity. And so we did. One night I went over to her apartment and shared my life story with her. The highs and the lows, the failures and the accomplishments, things I had never spoken about out loud. And never once did I feel judged or pitied. I thought to myself that night, I've just gotten a taste of what the love of God is truly like. In the weeks to come, I noticed that her acceptance of me paved the way for me to grow in loving and accepting myself. And I noticed that some of the burden of that difficult season had been lifted. I no longer felt as alone. We can all grow in seeing and accepting ourselves and others unconditionally, as well as in receiving God's unconditional love and acceptance of us. Which brings me to some practical suggestions. My first practical suggestion is to practice seeing and accepting both your strengths and your weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I am great at recognizing my flaws and imperfections. I can give you a long list. It has been much harder for me to identify and own my strengths. And apparently this is incredibly common. Outside of a job interview setting, talking about our strengths is often viewed as an unacceptable form of pride. This is especially true for women who are often conditioned to build up others and not themselves. But when we only focus on our imperfections, we are not seeing or accepting ourselves as we truly are. We are not seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Jesus said that we are to worship in spirit and truth. To do this, we must see the whole truth of who we are, which includes our strengths. And it's God's spirit that enables us to do this. We are only able to face the whole truth of who we are because our value and worth will not be called into question. Our infinite innate worth comes from God's agape love and nothing we may learn about ourselves, good or bad, will make us more or less valuable. Personally, I've needed some outside help uh, in order to begin naming and recognizing my strengths. I have benefited a lot from taking online strengths assessments, like the Clifton Strengths Assessment, as well as by receiving feedback from others in my life. 
A number of years ago, I sent out an email to a small group of friends and family members letting them know that I was completing something called the Reflected Best Self Exercise, a personal development tool created by researchers at Harvard and the University of Michigan Business Schools. As part of the exercise, I asked each person to share one to three stories of times they had seen me at my best, either personally or professionally. To be honest, it felt very vulnerable uh, and a little uncomfortable to make this request. It felt like fishing for compliments. But to my surprise, everyone I asked was incredibly happy to participate. And the feedback I received has been invaluable in helping me to understand and build on my strengths. My second practical suggestion is to practice vulnerability. As we see with the Samaritan woman, there is incredible power in being seen and accepted as you are. But this is easier said than done. It is hard to let ourselves be truly seen, to let our guards down and be open and vulnerable with those around us. We worry about what others will think and how they will respond. We worry about being judged or being pitied we worry about private confidences being betrayed. And the truth is, these fears are not completely irrational. Hurt can happen when we practice vulnerability with other human beings. So we need to be wise about when we choose to let our guards down and who we choose to let in. That being said, when we practice vulnerability responsibly, we open ourselves up to deeper experiences of connection and belonging. Brene Brown, you may have heard of her. She's a researcher who studies courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. Brown says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Personally, I have found it helpful to think of vulnerability as a practice, something I can grow in over time, both in letting my own guards down and in creating space where it is safe for others to do so. The good news is that our relationship with God is a great place to start practicing this. God already sees, knows, loves, and accept us, accepts us fully as we are right now in this moment. This week, if you can, take some time to try to be with God in the midst of your vulnerability. You may want to spend some time journaling or talking to God about something that feels vulnerable to you. Or if you benefit more from imaginative prayer, Picture yourself letting your guards down and allowing God to come near to you. As you journal or pray, ask God to surround you with love, gentleness, and acceptance. My hope is that as we grow together as a community in seeing, knowing, and accepting ourselves and others, that we will experience greater peace, joy, hope, and connection. May our thirst be quenched 
and our spirits renewed by the living water that gushes up to become eternal life. If you're interested in discussing this sermon together, please join us on Zoom at 11.45 Eastern Time. I would love to hear your thoughts and continue thinking together about ways that we can embrace the gift of acceptance. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you.